I'm through with contests. Refuse a challenge, and you have to die. Salutations, dear citizens, as we peer into the new fund order to discover the immutable truth for asset management and wealth managers. The lowdown from the dark side, the frontier and the fringe of asset management and fund research. General Black's Kung Fu is very good. A podcast for wealth managers, fund selectors, distributors and investors bringing to you the People's Republic podcast of finance in association with my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors, capturing the latest market news, views and interviews with leading minds in our industry. Allianz Global Investors is one of the world's leading active managers. Podcast 002. In this episode, citizens, it's Kung Fu Showdown for fun platforms. <laughs> our guest in this episode is Mark Polson, principal and founder of the Lancat Consultancy, and all things Kung Fu master when it comes to fun platforms. Lancat describes itself as making the complex simple and in the space of just 10 years has become very much the authority of the UK fund platform industry. Market News Moneybeak runs with China touts next Tesla. Shares in electric car manufacturer Neo have rocketed over the past year but can it keep motoring and live up to the hype? Funds Europe runs the story of the first instance of a funds transaction using central bank digital currency, or CBDC, has successfully completed in France, paving the way for instant blockchain-based settlement. Meanwhile, The Economist runs with why Europe is losing the big tech race. Pre-launch hype surrounding the video game Cyberpunk 2077 turned its Warsaw-based creator CD Projekt into the country's most valuable listed company, says The Economist. Ever since it was launched, it has still been littered with bugs. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists reports the Isle of Man is still facilitating the super-rich owners of private jets to fly below European taxis, almost three years after Paradise Papers first revealed the practice. UK government plans post-Brexit reform of investment industry, FT covers. Tax changes and new alternative investment funds will help keep Britain's 9.9 trillion asset management sector competitive. The news, of course, is awash with GameStop. Uh, Bloomberg running GameStop is rage against the financial machine. Traders putting on their short squeeze aren't motivated by greed. They're engaged in an anger-driven uprising against the establishment. And I'll be providing some comment on GameStop and what it means for the industry later in this episode. And that's the end of market news. Tag hashtag news fund order and let me know what stories I should be covering. Interview. And in these strange pandemic lockdown times, rest assured that all guests are calling in remotely. <laughs> so it's great to have you on the new fund order podcast, Mark. And of course, a, a very happy new year to you. Very happy, slightly tarnished New Year to you as well. It's not really new, is it? It's kind of like re-gifted um, with a little bit of crud on the box, you know, where it got a wee bit bashed uh, when the kids were unwrapping it and didn't want it. Um, but there it is, there it is. Yes, it's nice to be here and uh, I look forward to alienating your audience just as much as you alienated mine last time. Oh, thanks very much. You're more than welcome. It seems very apt. Indeed, some might suggest contrived that we're recording this on Blue Monday. See, now that Blue Monday thing, that 
boils me up for a start, right? Blue Monday thing came out from a travel agent and there was nothing in it other than they said, oh, we had an algorithm, we worked it out. Down with big media, that's what we're basically saying. Damn right. You know, obviously it is to some degree contrived because today's podcast is indeed entitled Are Fun Platforms Facing a New Order? Obviously it's a blazing, you know, sell of this podcast and of the book, of course. I have a range of special effects just ready for you back in the bunker. Just for any instances of Scottish potty mouth we know as as an affliction it is and we use it as punctuation you know well you only need to use language like that if you're not articulate yourself I'm perfectly articulate thank you very much I also like using the word and I really don't see a problem with it Um, and I'm looking forward very much to hearing what little noise you used in the final edit of this uh, to bleep out what I just said Uh, well would you like to just try out my uh, special sound effect you're something Being me, in true Orwellian style, are there any deep lies rooted in the fun platform industry and who is controlling them? That's a, that's a good and difficult question to start with because the the fun platform industry, at least in the UK, right, I know there's going to be people listening to this in other territories, but the kind of genesis of it, I think, was, was kind of built on a bit of nonsense. But you talked about price, but also there's a there's a lot of obsession right now about the assessment of value and the whole value for money uh, question. Do you think we should see something like the assessment of value uh, framework being applied to the advice process, being applied to, to platforms? 20 years in platforms is that one of the sort of fundamentals of it just just was never really true. Now, I've written enough marketing books over my time to know it when I see it. Um, back to your to your Orwellian stuff. The chilling effect of this is that it is in nobody's interest who controls the means of distribution. The platforms themselves and the fund industry have got exactly no interest in shaking that up. Uh, we cut everybody's throats if we do that, and we'd all uh, not be able to make the margins that we're used to, and some aren't making great margins anyway. And the ability for retail investors outside of, you know, if they're in big pension funds or something like that, to access what I think they thought they were getting in the first place is seriously constrained. If you had to deliver a kung fu kick to to one particular part of our industry, who is the the peddler of the propaganda that's that's giving rise to this? Is is it the regulator? Is it trade bodies? Is it is it the advisor community? Is it is it the distributors? Who's most to blame? I think it is. That's a great question because everybody's at the gangbang, right? Um, and uh, everybody dropped their car keys in the bowl. So I'm not sure that there's anyone that gets a, a bit of, of chop socky there. Um, lots and lots of people, I think, have gone along with this. Probably, probably the original sinners might be guys like Hargreaves, who genuinely were discount brokers for a while. Also, regulator always gets a bit of it on their shoe, right? Because there was the potential back in the day for them to control messaging a lot more. One of the likely impacts of this regulation is that your costs are going to go 
up because not only will the fund industry defend its margins, the platform sector now has explicit charges that it didn't before, and it's going to take that opportunity to defend its margins. And advisors are going to do that too and probably put their prices up. And as a result, guess what? Regulation made things certainly more transparent, but more expensive as well. Everybody is complicit in that regard. Again, for the non-UK people listening, it's, this is a, you know a market where retail investors really do use collectives. Um, the share trading stuff is a, is a whole different ballgame. Listen, we're talking about price here, right? It's not the fundamental thing. The, the idea that people buy stuff and hold it on behalf of clients and it's kept safe for them, it's run properly by serious people who've got degrees and stuff and are, are quite boring and so they should be, um, that all works pretty well. Actually, we, I, I spend my life inside the minutiae of it, so I'm always looking at what tiny little things could be 5 or 10% better. But in the main, it does very well. And the regulator in its platform market study found that although there are some things that exercise us, in general, the market behaves relatively well on behalf of investors. But I think my point is that you could, as Franz Ferdinand once sang, have it so much better. Right, I'm going to sing my angry value pixie song, right? Um, <clears throat> and not everybody gets to hear this, so, you know, you're very lucky. Um, and it is this, that value is a word... I wish the assessment of value reports weren't called that. I wish they were called something else. Assessment of cheese or fish or jam or something. I don't care, but not the V word. Because the V word is something that individuals have to be allowed to experience for themselves, right? It's effectively utility. It's economic utility. And to do that, to, to derive value and assess value, you need to understand two things, which is you need to understand what something costs and what it does. Right, there's only two things you need to know. But despite successive waves of transparency, this industry is uh, like master level. Um, I'm trying to think of the right what the right belt would be in kung fu, John. Uh, but you would probably know that from your obsession. Second dan, third dan, something like that. Third dan at basically separating people from understanding and agency is what this industry exists to do. And it does that usually with a relatively benign intent. But the key point is that you're not going to understand what value something gives you by reading an AOV report. You might understand how it compares against some of its peer groups. Even then, right, we did a survey with advisors, UK advisors, mostly directly authorised, mostly independent, at the tail end of 2020. We just published it earlier this month. And only 6% of firms said that they actively used fund management AOV reports uh, and put any stock in them at all. Most people made noises around the, you know, exactly what I think would happen if you asked advisors or platforms or whoever else to say, are you good value or not? <laughs> they say, why, yes. Why, yes, John, I'm exceptional value. And it would be the easiest lie they ever told. So I'm not sure that asking an industry to say, hey, do you think you're doing a good job, lads? And see if you're not, you're going to be bang in trouble is going to get you very far. So I, I don't know what the answer is there, but we probably need to stop saying that they're actual assessment of value reports 
we're not really assessing value there. Uh, and I think if we set the foxes to not only watch the hen house, but also the fox house, and then to assess how well the foxes in the fox house have been watching the hen house, then we're probably not going to get all that far. It feels quite a long way to go at the moment. So it sounds as if you're not particularly optimistic about the whole value for money debate that's going on right now, or should I say as it how it's being implemented. And certainly I have similar concerns. The missing link for me being, well, what do the non-exec directors do? How do they step up? How do they intercede and intervene in those fund boards? I think is going to be crucial to actually producing something that's that's meaningful. But it sounds like at the moment you're just left broiling in your own cynical broth as to the the value of assessment and value reports. But of course, this is another invention by the regulator who themselves had ambitions to echo the regime in the United States. And everyone's got their swords out for the regulator. Uh, I mean, dunking on the regulator, right, is, is a great sport. And everyone can do it. It's the, it's the kind of game that everyone can play and the regular doesn't really get to answer back. You know, w- whether it's AOV or ESG or other three-letter acronyms, um, you know, terminology can get in the way. But usually behind it, there's something quasi-righteous. Um, in terms of ESG, it's really, really tough at the moment. There's a lot more ecologically generated heat than light at the moment. Um, everybody's doing something. Every supplement is about ESG. Every fund man manager is you know immediately running around saying what can we launch what can we launch we've got a report coming out about it too but one of the things that we're trying to talk about in it is that we need to slow down got to slow this down because the industry has done what the industry always does which is go into manufacturing mode uh, and say right how can we tap into this latent and hot demand for ESG products and and make a few bucks along the way and I know there are some people that have long held these beliefs and, and uh, uh, have manufactured in that way for a long time, but lots haven't, right? And the you know the the plethora and the proliferation of these products in a very short timescale is dizzying, and almost all of them, I suspect, won't make the trip uh, in the longer term. For platforms as distributors, um, it's really tough because one man's meat is another man's poison, and you either say, well, listen, we are absolutely neutral in this. We don't care. We, You tell us what you want to buy, we buy it. That's it. That's all we need to know. And I think that's quite tempting for a lot of them because to say, well, we put this in our, you know, our deep green cohort or our ESG cohort or whatever it is. Uh, and then someone says, ah, but I see that's got Tesla in it. I don't like Tesla for these things. Or I just had a, the boohoo problem or whatever it may be, all the, all the stories that we all know. It's phenomenally fast moving. It's phenomenally difficult. And it's also very, very emotionally charged um, for investors that care about it. One of the things that, that we find um, as we've taken a look at it generally is that there will be, particularly for intermediated investors with a uh, an advisor taking care of them, I don't I don't mean to give the game away and, and it's, it's a terrible generalisation, but there's characters in the IFA world who really, really don't have a lot of time for all this kind of stuff. And I suspect that that's replicated with a lot of investors that we're not hearing about. So there'll be a, it'll be a bell curve, right? There'll be a, a decent sized cohort that just 
aren't motivated by ESG. They'll be highly, highly motivated people. And that's where the fund industry really, in a retail sense at least, runs out of road. Because unless you can almost create infinite share classes with slightly different investment choices in each one, depending on exactly how I feel, then the idea of centralization, of efficiency, of keeping costs down, centralized investment propositions for IFAs as well, where it's cookie cutter, but but hopefully in a decent way, that goes out the window with that. So that side, that's your kind of wealth management territory. In the middle, probably, uh, we end up with some kind of scoring mechanism, some kind of synthesis that says, look, this scores a three on JB's greenometer, you know, or whatever the hell it is. And the as part of a fact find, an intermediary says, listen, you can have zero, which is, you know, uh, we sacrifice baby kittens, drain their blood and drink it before making asset allocation decisions uh, right up to 10. That sounds like something from the crypt. <laughs> uh, right up to 10, where we, we praise Gaia and, um, you know, dance around um, in sandals before we before we do anything. And you can just choose. Um, so it probably ends up there. That middle one, a platform can deal with. The one where nobody gives a damn, they can deal with that as well. What they can't do so easily is host these kind of mass personalized preferences. That It's starting. There are one or two things that can do it. Mm that are starting to try and do it probably can't do it that well yet and maybe you know give it 10 years tech might have moved on to help that happen in this kind of framework but it's a really tricky one absolutely and i think you know because of the greenwashing that we can see in the industry and i you know i do believe it to be uh, endemic uh, to our industry right now it will give rise to probably one of the greatest inefficient periods of investing when we look back it's going to be on a level with the dot-com bubble there is this is an incredibly inefficient period, whereas what I see from platforms as purveyors of tools and effectively a supplier of services, I think is how they, they see themselves, is that they, they they just facilitate and there's a sort of almost a degree of nihilism, I think, in finance about these big issues. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So there are there are absolutely platforms who say, listen, it's none of our business, pal. You, individual preferences uh, can really militate against the, the way the whole industry is stitched together. And, and um, if we believe that one of the cornerstones of giving good investment advice, which is different to financial planning, good investment advice involves a really good conversation about risk and ensuring that the portfolio that's delivered has got at least a nodding acquaintance with the risk requirement, the capacity for loss and the risk tolerance of the individual, those three elements. If the client says, yeah, but solar panels on primary school roofs is really where I want to be. I'm like, well, my scale only goes up to 10, pal. And that's like 150,000. Um, or I read about this really, really interesting thing with geothermal heat or whatever. And um, before you know it, what we've actually done um, through... Um, trying to accommodate client preferences and requirements is we've created a bunch of kind of unregulated, uh, hyper high risk investments. And I've got uh, a few great guests coming onto the show later in the season who are, you know, knee deep in, in those issues. For me, what it ex I think it exposes, Mark, is that. Our industry was always based on the idea of pooled models 
herding investors together into fairly standardised answers. And of course, that rubs completely against the individuality of areas such as sustainability and ESG. And that's why we're having so much troubles. Rapid fire round. First question, bull or bear? Bull. Bogle or Buffett? Bogle. Profit or planet? Planet. Divest or engage? Engage. Lower cost or better value? Lower cost. Super tankers or boutiques? Super tankers. <laughs> Star managers or team players? Team players. Public or private? Public. High growth or stable income? High growth. Socialism or free markets? Socialism. Finish him. If you could pick a number between 11 and 40. 24. Question 24. Consensual or contrarian? Contrarian. You have survived the new fund order, Matt Prolson. It's been a pleasure as always uh, to be chatting and uh, thank you very much again for joining us. Thanks for having me and uh, Oceania has always been at war with Eurasia. Just keep that in mind. That's a great end joke for the 1984 listeners. Thank you very much, Mark Bolson. Please don't forget to like and share and subscribe. You know, click the subscribe button. A new podcast every two weeks with a new guest. Stay tuned. Jimmy Opinion. In the obtuse techno soup that is the internet and social media verse, deriding our industry is easy. We collectively attack the regulation, the regulator, active management, greenwashing, and value. Previously, I have noted the imperative of clear communications in steering the public will. So too can poor communication pervert and distract the consent of investors. Cynicism plays to the contrarian, the resistance, the mob rule, and the truth itself becomes controlled by the frenzy. It feeds off social media, and the advisor community and fund selectors are no different in this regard, confined as they are to their pandemic bunkers. They appear to be carrying both old cynical baggage in the form of ESG, as well as some new issues. Case in point being the assessment of value regime and greenwashing. We need to better understand why there is cynicism amongst advisors and fund selectors, if ever we are to try and improve. Whichever fund jurisdiction you find yourself in, which market, which country, these issues commute across borders. And we can see that common themes of centralisation, transparency and efficiency, as well as environmental social governance, are universal. Fund platforms, as a form of technology, are there to improve the lives of investors and make the job of fund selectors easier. We have to ask ourselves, citizens, is do they? So citizens, let's talk about GameStop. Fundamentally, I think the biggest mistake the industry is trying to make is to comprehend what's happening on the Reddit from a point of finance. It is far better to look at what's happening on GameStop from a sociological point of view. This is about public revulsion to what it perceives Wall Street doing, what it perceives hedge funds doing. If you stop to actually watch the original Roaring Kitty bull case for GameStop, you know, this is a straightforward stock pitch. Keith is talking about the company, about its valuation, about its fundamentals, about its earnings stream, about its restructuring, about its business model. Now, whatever investors then took from that 
And you know, we can talk separately about whether shorting is a, a parasitic part of society, a parasitic part of the market. What I think has then subsequently happened is that this idea of rebellion, subsequent investors have grouped together and they have weaponized the stock as a means to attack the hedge funds. It's no longer about Roaring Kitty's original stock idea. It's about putting it to the man. And that is a worry for the industry and I think it has to be a worry for society because the capital model is not necessarily the great basis for protest, albeit it is proving to be quite an efficient one. The thing that is being missed in the public media is the sheer interconnectedness of our industry. So everybody's affected by this. Indeed, when they attack hedge funds, you know, average investors sitting inside pension schemes are being attacked by these actions. So that perhaps indicates a generational gap between those who are older and have more to lose sitting in pension funds and those who are younger who have very little in the way of long-term savings. And indeed, they have rebelled from the traditional savings model. The interesting thing that happens next is what regulators then do with the direct stock platforms like Robinhood. These social media behaviours have been occurring now for a long period of time on the main social media platforms. They are a form of protest, and now we're starting to see that protest being weaponized into financial markets. A big thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Brought to you by my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors. And a warm thanks to today's guest. Legally, I am compelled to remind everyone that all views of this podcast are, of course, independent and do not belong to any affiliation or organisation. Just in case that was in any doubt. Tune in for the next podcast every two weeks from The New Fund Order. Please subscribe, share, like and comment. Let me know what you think and what you'd like covered in future episodes. Until then, stay safe and keep it left field. Just